This is the LarryandFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon, and my guest today is Elliot Holtgren, the deputy mayor for the city of Fishers, at least uh, as of the day we're recording this, because Elliot is moving on, and that's part of what we'll be talking about today. So, Elliot Holtgren, uh, welcome once again to one of my podcasts. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate it. And, uh, well, first of all, um, I guess I should ask you, you've been uh, deputy mayor for the city for a little over two years now. So tell us, after uh, the day we record this, uh, where you're headed. Right, absolutely. So uh, my next professional endeavor will be with KSM Consulting. And uh, tell, I mean, consulting is kind of a broad area. Do you know where you'll be, what uh, more specifically you'll be doing there? Can you tell us much about that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, they focus on both public and private sector, I imagine. Uh, my efforts will be primarily focused on the, the public sector with this uh, past experience as deputy mayor and then my military work as well. So uh, I'm really excited uh, to be joining that company. They've got a great culture, uh, really, really smart people that solve you know, organizations' toughest problems. So I'm looking forward to being a part of that. And I assume you're still uh, part of the Naval Reserve. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, still very much a part of the Naval Reserve Uh uh, just uh, actually got picked up for commander, so I'll put that on here sometime in 21. But, uh, yeah, still very much a part of the uh, the Naval Reserves. Well, great. And we talked a lot about your military experience last time you were on one of our podcasts. Um, let me start off with this. Since you've um, been here in Fishers working at the City Hall for a little more than two years, when you first started in this job, Leah McGrath was already there as a deputy mayor. She, um, several months ago, moved on uh, to Knowledge Services to to work there. So once Leah left, I know you had a certain realm of responsibility while she was there. Once she left, did that grow your list of responsibilities, or how did that change what you were doing at City Hall? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It certainly did, right? Uh, Leah is an extraordinary leader and was a huge part of our team here, so... Uh, that was a big uh, gap to fill, to say the least. So uh, essentially, the mayor and I split uh, Leah's department's responsibilities between the two of us. So I took on uh, a total of eight different departments um, in total, primarily internally focused, right? So controller's office, fleet management, planning and zoning, permit inspections, human resources, things of that nature. Uh, and the mayor took a handful as well. Uh, and we divvied out those uh, as best we could. Um, but it really, it, it kind of uh, played nicely in that, you know, externally focused, Marathonist, internally focused myself. So that's how we, we managed uh, the departure of Leah. So when uh, the, the COVID-19 crisis began really in March uh, and the mayor decided to stand up uh, a separate health department, something only a handful of cities have in Indiana, what was your involvement in that? Yeah, so I was uh, very much a part of it. Uh, and this whole uh, COVID-19 uh, response here at the city has been been a huge uh, part of my time here and one I'm proud of, quite frankly. But uh, we sent essentially the entire uh, organization home in mid-March uh, outside of the mayor and I. So uh, he and I were at City Hall, uh, just the two of us, uh, all day, every day, uh, a lot of uh, Quality, uh, quality time spent there. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, both Chief Gephardt and Chief Arusa and then Megan Baumgartner, Ashley Elrod, and Chris Gray as a were part of this uh, executive team, if you will, that managed uh, the pandemic. 
Uh, and so, you know, we, we bounced a lot of ideas off one another uh, and felt that the health department uh, for myriad reasons was the right thing to do. Uh, and from really ideation to uh, implementing it was maybe a total of 10 to 14 days. So it happened very rapidly. Um, we, we wrote out the plan. I, I took one day uh, home and worked from home and, and wrote out kind of the, the entire strategic plan for, for what a health department was going to be like and, and why we were going to do it. Uh, and then we did it. Um, so it happened really rapidly. And then uh, after, of course, uh, there are two parts of the council, one to uh, uh, initiate a health department and two to allocate funding for it. Uh, so once we got that approved through city council, then there's, you know, a new set of problems. Uh, these fires, these daily fires of figuring out uh, how to do things uh, in a fairly rapid manner, right? So we were pretty hyper-focused on the pandemic. Um, then there are restaurant inspections and pool inspections and things of that nature. So uh, we worked through those uh, all day, every day for about 10 or 12 days before we got our, our hands wrapped around that firmly. But uh, I feel like we now have the processes, the people uh, and the technology, quite frankly, uh, in place to, to have a really successful uh, health department here for the city of Fishers. Now, a lot of people have asked me, why did Fishers decide to start its own health department? I think East Chicago and Gary are the only cities that have their own separate health departments. Of course, and it, people ask about Indianapolis. That's a Unigov. They they consolidated that years ago. So that county and city health department had been one for a long time. So the response I, I give people when they ask, why did the city decide to do this? It appeared to me that the biggest reason was to allow uh, testing, COVID-19 testing, to be widely available, free to citizens at least every two weeks. You don't have to get one every two weeks, but it was available. And if you're symptomatic, it could be more often. And the other thing is that even if it was for a fee, there was at least the availability uh, of testing for the business sector, which I think the mayor and, the, and, and you and others felt uh, was important to have the availability of testing. And remember, it wasn't that available in early April when, when you started this program. So would would you is that what you would tell people if they ask, why did you start a health department in Fishers, that it was mostly to allow for the availability of testing? Because what I'm hearing is that testing is as available here as, as anywhere, probably more available than anywhere in the state of Indiana. So talk about that, if you would. Yeah, Larry, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. So in those early days, uh, it was scary uh, for several reasons, but one is uh, lack of knowledge uh, around if you were sick or not with COVID. So a lot of times it's just, hey, you're presumptive uh, COVID positive, but you had no knowledge of with the, the, whether or not you were sick. Uh, and so this was a mechanism for us to be able to get testing to folks. And we felt um, that there should be no financial burden to getting a test either. So we wanted to open it up to any of our uh, approximately 93,000 residents to get tested for that peace of mind. Uh, it's really, it was a, a way to get back uh, to work uh, as, as a city as a whole, right? So figuring out a way to open businesses and restaurants uh, smartly and safely, right? So testing was the key to doing that. And then the data uh, behind the, the testing, right? So uh, if we can identify pockets of individuals or places that uh, had a, a COVID outbreak, so to speak, uh, we can get that information rapidly uh, and fight the problem, right? So uh, before that, we were we were fighting a problem we couldn't see, uh, so to speak. So that was uh, that was a huge aspect to it. Uh, and then we felt confident that was the right move, and that uh, someday, uh, you know, post COVID nineteen world, 
there's still going to be a, a need for a health department for the city, right? So again, you, you think about a city's you know basic functions, right? There's safety, there's infrastructure, things like that. And the public health aspect has never really been a part of that conversation. Uh, and I just don't think that that's ever going to be the, the, the same anymore. So public health needs to be part of a community. And so we felt that uh, for COVID purposes, it made sense in the now. Uh, and for everything uh, going forward, it also made sense in the future. Has the business community availed itself of the testing program? Uh, yeah, uh, to some extent they have. Uh, a lot of folks have signed up. Um, and whether or not they, they just take the assessment or they fall through to, to actually go get the test, uh, it varies. But there certainly have been uh, scenarios where a business uh, has desired uh, to get that rapid testing. And they've all, you, know, you can see a, an influx of uh, individuals from a specific business going to do it one, one day. So uh, I'd say that it is working well. I do remember you were talking about uh, you and the mayor and almost nobody else being at City Hall. Last time I interviewed the mayor for a podcast was, I think it was in March or April, and I remember talking to him, and, and the only people I think that day in City Hall was the lady who was at the front desk to, to screen people, you and the mayor. I don't think anybody else working for the city was in that building, and and. It was. I spent a lot of time in City Hall over the last eight years. Even when it's a town hall, from doing my blog work as a volunteer, but I, I, I had never been in that building when it was so strangely quiet because it's normally a, a very busy place. What was that like for you? Yeah. So uh, eerie uh, for those initial couple of days, right? Um, I mean, most of the lights were completely off, and you're right. Um, it was. It was just one of our front desk. Uh, personnel to to uh, ensure that people weren't uh, coming to City Hall or, or to you know uh, help with UPS or Amazon deliveries or whatever the case may be, uh, and then just the mayor and I. So uh, it was important for us to note that while we were uh, decentralizing our staff and sending folks home, uh, we wanted to make it clear though that City Hall uh, and city government was not closed for business, right? So. Uh, we felt that it was important uh, that, that the doors did remain unlocked, so to speak, uh, and that the mayor and I were, were, uh, were working through the problem set here at City Hall. Um, but yeah, uh, a, a lot of, uh, you know, we put, uh, put some music on in the background. <laughs> to try to, uh, so tell me uh, what the music was. Yeah, so we actually have a, a fairly uh, similar taste in music. I'd, I'd call it kind of Americana um, uh, type of music, uh, front porch rock, if you will, but, uh, worked through some camp and lumineers and things like that. Um, uh, but, uh, it, we got through it pretty well. What, uh, I thought was interesting is even though city hall was, was pretty well, uh, vacated, almost everybody working in city hall was still working. They just were not in city hall. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And that's uh, a bit of a point of pride um, for me and for this organization is that we were able to essentially stay 100% operational um, through our decentralizing of our staff, right? So uh, be it engineering or our business solutions group or information technology or the controllers officer, whoever it was, um, we utilized uh, technology, we utilized Microsoft Teams. It was kind of our go-to. Uh, and folks were able to uh, conduct business uh, as close to usual as possible. Uh, so that was a, that was a great thing to see and be a part of. You know, one, speaking of buildings, one thing you were a part of 
was uh, moving many of the uh, city hall functions to another building, the city services building. For those who maybe don't know what we're talking about, that's the building that was police headquarters. They've since moved on to bigger and better things almost across the street uh, from that building. But uh, that was, I think the main goal of that was to, you know, people in City Hall were pretty cramped. I mean, when you go visit somebody, there wasn't a whole lot of room anywhere. And, and many functions moved over to that city services building. So do you see that as a success? Yeah, I absolutely do. Uh, and it was, you know, for a couple of reasons. One, for our city staff, they, they were cramped. I mean, we would uh, find a corner of a room and, and uh, shove a desk there, but... Uh, two is also from a customer experience perspective, right? So we had several different um, front office staff throughout uh, two buildings and you could get ping ponged if you were a, a brand new resident or just don't go to city hall often, you get bounced around from one person to the other uh, before getting to the right point of contact. And we felt that was a poor experience. And so the idea was to consolidate down to one location, uh, empower those people with the, the knowledge to be able to answer, you know, multitude of questions or, or help in any way possible. So I think that was, you know, really the, the crux to it, that you can come to City Hall, one location, or the city services building, one location, uh, and get the support you need uh, from a, a resident's uh, perspective. So that was a that was a win for us, for sure. Yeah, and I know that there were several people who were used to coming to City Hall who, uh, you know, had to get used to going to the other building. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think uh, the, the I, and I did see that fact that there were a lot of people who who went to the city services building right across there from city hall and and found once they got in that building found it fairly easy to get to where they needed to go yeah that that's that's good to hear right i mean change is hard for for anyone and everyone right like we still get folks that come here looking for the bmv so uh it takes some time um but uh, i think it's worked out pretty well you know i remember when the bmv made a decision to close that building uh, there, I was surprised because there was a, a legally mandated hearing. I don't know if you were even there at the time. I don't think you were. There was a legally man. There was a legally mandated build. I'm um, sorry, a, a hearing about the closing of that BMV. I thought there would be people. Want to, nobody was there. There, there were two <laughs> council members. I think we're still a town at that time. Might have been. We had two council members. And me, I got to have a long conversation with the guy in charge of the whole BMV because he had nobody else to talk to. But uh, I was surprised that that didn't uh, get more attention than it did. It was after that it was closed that people, I think, got interested. But the BMV has gotten more online, and we won't get into all that. But there's still people who – and I know that uh, John Weingart told me he wanted to bring it back. But I, I think in the current environment, that's uh, – a little less likely, but you never, never say never. I want to ask. I want to ask you about uh, something you, that is part of your job, and just to the extent you can, because the controller's office is, is part of your realm, and you mentioned that. Sure. Although the, there's really no way to extricate the mayor from the budget process. That's part of his wheelhouse. There, as you all know, just uh, budgeting and 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 finance. As I understand it, and I, I'm not covering it as closely now as I used to, but I do know that. Uh, there have been some delays in, in the budget process. Normally, most of the department heads have all their recommended budgets in by now. I think there's been some delay because of the uncertainty about COVID-19, the uncertainty about about the income levels you're going to have, particularly in the income tax, the property taxes. There is an impact that, that because of it's, it's uh, the way that that's set up by the state, we might feel that later. But my question to you is, uh, 
in the work you've done so far, how does that 2021 budget look? Is it going to be tough? Are there going to be some cuts necessary or is it too early to, to see that? Yeah. So in general, I'd say it's still probably too early, but, um, you know, we're going to be okay. Right. So city of Fishers is, is certainly going to be, uh, more well off than a lot of other, uh, towns and cities across, uh, central Indiana and the state and elsewhere. Right. Um, but it's going to be a, a pretty boring budget, right? Um, there's not going to be a lot of, uh, you know, neat, sexy projects uh, or, or opportunities, uh, and we will tighten up as we as we need to. Uh, I wouldn't say there, there's it's a, uh, a guarantee that there aren't any uh, cuts, but uh, the hope is that we can we can maintain as is. Uh, we certainly aren't going to uh, expand our headcount here uh, next year in 21. Um, and, and, and things like that, but it's uh, right. It's tough. Uh, our two biggest uh, revenue streams, if you will, are, are property tax and income tax and uh, just don't have a, a clear picture yet on what uh, the local income tax is going to look like for us. Um, so uh, a little bit still to be determined, all of our department heads do have their, their budgets in uh, the guidance to them was to come in flat uh, or to, to shave uh, and they all did that, um, which is, is great. And, and you're really proud of that. Um, and the obvious cuts where you can't, right. So we don't have a, a massive, uh, travel training budget, but we essentially, uh, nix that for 21 and those kind of obvious, uh, decisions that can be made. Uh, and we'll see where we, we may need to tighten up, uh, yet again, we had a, uh, and you may recall this, the a, a local income tax, uh, deal put in place with Carmel through state legislature where 20, you know, 21, 22, and 23, essentially any amount above two and a half percent to Carmel was going to come directly to the city of Fishers. And that's something that uh, myself and a few city councilors had worked on uh, for the better part of a year. And we're pretty excited about that. But uh, unfortunately that, uh, that may be a, a fruitless endeavor that we, we, we went through. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. Well, I, I did see an article and I think it was the, uh, Current Carmel, where a couple of Carmel City Council members were complaining about that deal, and I remember a podcast I did with the uh, at that time the Speaker of the House to be Todd Houston, and and I think his message was, you know, you two better agree or else I will decide. And he basically said that there's going to be some people unhappy if he decided. But it turns out uh, Carmel and Fishers did make that deal, and yes, nobody could see the economic. Uh, uh, storm clouds coming at that time. So it doesn't look like at least in the first year that's, but I understand the state department of revenue is going to refine its data and maybe that will solve the problem. Although we don't know that yet. Right. Right. Hopefully No, That's accurate though. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you this, um, during your more than two years as a deputy mayor, we've talked about coronavirus. I'm sure that was a huge challenge. What are some of the other challenges that you look back on and, and think about, wow, that's, that was tough, but we got through it. Yeah. So, uh, the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, takes the cake there. Uh, that's a clear winner. Um, some of the other, uh, challenging things that we've worked through was really, uh, part of my deputy mayor role, this chief information officer role I held, uh, in transitioning from, uh, what I would call an anecdotal decision-making organization to a data-driven decision-making organization, uh, and that was this effort along three years where we focused on the technology first of moder- modernizing all of our software. Um, so uh, figuring out what we had, enhancing what we could enhance, 
uh, getting rid of the uh, archaic stuff and, and getting new stuff in that, that really enabled our staff to be as effective and as efficient as possible uh, and doing less data entry and more data analysis. And so um, it was challenging in that after we did all these software uh, updates, uh, I think to some extent we thought there'd be this uh, light switch and okay, now we're a data-driven organization, right? So uh, go ahead and look at the data and, and make some great decisions from it. Um, that's just not the case, right? So um, the, the tougher challenge was the cultural shift, right? So um, telling someone who does a really, really, really great job in what they do already to do it differently because um, you can do it even better, right? So maybe you're 99%, make it 100% um, and shift focus in that regard. And so that was um, uh, a long road, but I think we, we've more or less gotten there, right? So we now balance it. Um, we, we look at data often. I think our fish recovery page uh, in the COVID response uh, is a good example of uh, our data-driven uh, efforts in this organization. But we don't take it, uh, you know, black and white, right? There's still that uh, that that gut check uh, and that analysis and that uh, that individual human decision that has to take place after looking at the data. So that's a that was a big tough challenge and, and one I think uh, we came on the right side of. Um, another one that I'll, I'll I'll mention is maybe not a challenge so much, but doesn't get a, a lot of uh, daylight because an internal focus is developing our our future leaders of this organization, and so. Uh, we're small and we're, we're thin. We don't have uh, excess capacity and a lot of extra headcount. But, uh, you know, the mayor and I last year and a half put a lot of effort and focus into trying to have an internal leadership academy um, and, and grow our supervisors or superintendents uh, into assistant directors and, and, and so on up the, uh, the chain, if you will. And so uh, we've done that. Uh, we're actually in our second group of five right now. So we focus on five individuals at a time and we we really uh, step back from our day-to-day obligations and just talk about leadership, uh, talk about challenges, talk about mistakes made uh, and things like that. And so that's been, um, it's been different because I don't think we've ever done anything like that here at the city. And it's probably not uh, a common thing in the municipal world, but um, it was a, a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm proud of that, uh, that effort as well. Yeah. I know having been a, a manager in the federal government for about the last six years of my career, I know how, how much federal agencies had put into this whole idea of developing leaders because I have a, I used to have a saying, and I think it's still true, that you can be appointed to a leadership position, but that does not make you a leader. What makes you a leader is what you are and how you relate to the people under you and how you steer your organization. And, uh, yeah. and there, there are good programs to, to develop people to do that. Yeah, a- amen, Larry, right? So like, Positional leadership is, is not leadership, right? <laughs> That's just a title. Um, and I think a lot of times uh, someone can be really proficient or skilled in their specific job uh, and you say, well, that person's, the next step is leadership, right? Their management potential. Um, but they actually haven't had a chance to uh, practice leadership and talk about leadership. And so that's uh, our effort is to take uh, our uh, already fantastic employees give them a chance to, to talk through leadership and make some leadership mistakes and learn uh, and, and hone that skill so that when they get the, the opportunity, they're ready for it. Yeah, and I know that in the federal government, when I started there in the 80s, it was like, okay, if you're really good at this, or, well, to give an example for the city, you're a good engineer, you're a good budget specialist, uh, you know, you're, you're great at the wastewater treatment plant. Uh, you do that job really well. Okay, you're doing that job. Well, okay, we're going to make you a manager. Good luck. 
You know? yeah, right, and, yeah. and just because you're good at the job you do doesn't always translate to being a leader. And the fact that I think all organizations, including the city of Fishers, are taking that seriously is, is a good sign. So I'm really glad to hear that. Right. I also want to go back to data because I can remember being at a number of meetings where you were, uh, as a city, were trying to hire some contractors to come in and help you upgrade the whole data system, the whole infrastructure you have for taking in data, analyzing it, and like you said, not be spending time doing data entry. Make sure you have a system where you've got the data already plugged into the system. And I first thing I thought was this is just like kind of what you said, not a terribly sexy thing to talk about, and it's almost impossible to explain to somebody who doesn't understand it. But yet, for somebody who had kind of been involved in that to some extent myself, uh, I think the people in uh, living in the city are benefiting from that. Is there anything you can maybe give us as an example or two where, where this data upgrade will actually make this uh, a better place to live? Yeah, that's uh, that's fair, right? So, uh, and that group now is our, uh, it's a department within the organization called the Business Solutions Group. Uh, it's a small team of folks here that uh, are really proficient uh, in, in building out uh, real-time dashboards and presenting the data uh, in a way that uh, folks like myself uh, can consume it, right, and make sense of it um, rather than, than sift through uh, spreadsheets that, that maybe don't make as much sense to us. So, um, again, I, I, I would hit on that um, COVID-19 dashboard. Uh, so, right now, Anyone in the city of Fishers can go to our website, click on the COVID-19 dashboard and get a as real time as possible understanding of the pandemic in our specific community. Right. So uh, there are other examples, but, but I'll, I'll harp on that one again. And that that one really is it's almost like checking out the weather forecast. Right. So uh, you can see uh, the number of exact positives over the past 14 days. Uh, if there have been any deaths in the past 14 days, the age breakdown. Uh, male or female, uh, and then probably uh, the biggest uh, uh, piece of data for me that I think is important is really the, the, the rolling average, right? So you can see the trend uh, of our community, right? So you can understand, uh, hey, it is, it is pretty risky out there right now. Maybe I won't go uh, to Kroger uh, and to get that, that gallon of milk today. Or you know what? Uh, there is COVID, it's out there, but but our city is managing it well and, and everyone's doing their part and the masks are working. So yes, I can go out and I can take my spouse out uh, for a nice meal uh, or whatever the case may be. So that is probably uh, the most uh, useful data tool for our residents to date. Uh, and again, uh, is, is you know part of the reason why we, we formed a health department so that we would have that available to our residents at any given time. Yeah, I know I, t- I interviewed Dr. Lane and uh, Monica last week, and Dr. Lane, I asked her about that because there's still, you know, as, as great a, a system as that is, and it, the data is wonderful, I think for a lot of people, even for some journalists trying to, to get, you know, the important data out of it, a little hard, and she may, she admitted even for medical professionals, it's hard to sift through the data and that she and is working with the city on on trying to make that even better system. But yeah, I don't know of any place that has as local data as we have available to people on almost a daily basis. So that you must you do need to be credited for that. Well, as you're on your way out to another endeavor, um, what are your best memories of working for the city of Fishers? So it's the, and this is cliche to say, but it's, it's the truth, right? So it's the people, 
Um, so I started almost six years ago with the city as a director of fleet management. Um, and it's, uh, that group hasn't changed much. Uh, Tabitha Miller runs it now and she was there when I started. Uh, and it's a, just a great group of mechanics, uh, that keep the, the, the city running, um, for, for, uh, no better, uh, phrase there. And they put in great work and they're, uh, just a great group of human beings. They, they took me in and, uh, admittedly, I didn't know much about mechanics, uh, or, or the mechanic life or, or maintaining vehicles. Um, but, I, uh, I could manage a, a team and, and work on a lot of things there. And, um, it was a great interaction and I love that experience. And I got to move over and do, uh, take on permit inspections as well. So I had two departments and I, again, just another small group of really hardworking, really caring individuals that I got to work with, uh, and again, work on becoming more effective and more efficient, uh, in all that we do. And so, Throughout the, the time here, I took a little vacation to Africa that we spoke about before, but uh, getting back from, from that deployment and then working with another small group. So it's really the small teams uh, that make up the, the larger organization here that I loved working with uh, on a daily basis. Um, and it's, it's important, I think, for folks to know, and I hope they do know and appreciate that there are people here that come into work every single day and just really flat out care about this community. And they work really hard to try to make this city uh, the best version of itself. And so it's been an honor to work with those folks. Um, so that's a bit of a, a generic response, but that's that's the truth. It's just the people, this organization, they're really, really special. Well, that has been my general experience as well. You have a great staff. You should be proud of them. And uh, I think you should uh, feel good about what you've accomplished here. And I certainly wish you, personally wish you well with your new endeavor at KSM Consulting. I'm familiar with some of their work. I think you'll... You'll fit in very well over there. Any last thoughts uh, before we wrap this up? Yeah, I, I will uh, chime in on one thing, uh, I suppose. Um, you know, and it's um, there's a lot of uh, politicizing of things these days. Uh, so my, my parting thought here, right? So um, and I'm a bit saddened by it, right? And it's happening across the country in the state and even here in the community, right? So whether it be face mask shaming or opinions of school teachers or, you know, I mean, or like, you know, factions within church congregations based on how the church is or is not responding to things. And so um, I guess my, my general thought on that is that I don't believe, although we hear it a lot, um, that those opinions uh, are representative of the character of this community, right? So uh, they may be the loudest voices right now, but uh, I think this is a fantastic place um, to call home. Uh, and I think there are so many amazing people doing amazing things in this community. And I think that's really what we should focus on. Uh, and we should believe in this community and believe in the decency of its people. Uh, and if we all, you know, take a deep breath, uh, we'll get through some of these, these tough issues and tough times and, and we'll be better for it in the end. So uh, Fishers is still, I think, the best place in the world to live in. Uh, and I hope a lot of other folks believe that as well. Along those lines, uh, I assume you and your family still live in Fishers? Yeah, uh, now and forever. I'm a homer. <laughs> well, yeah, the reason I ask that is that are your, uh, are your kids ready to go back to school virtually on Thursday? Yeah, so uh, we are. I've got a few desks uh, to build uh, <laughs> this week to get them going. So I'll have a, a fourth grader, a second grader, and a kindergartner starting out. And we've still got a two-year-old running around the house as well. So we'll have three of the four starting uh, virtually. But uh, literally moments before I hopped on here, I got a uh, – uh, a video email from my fourth grade fourth graders teacher welcoming him uh, to the classroom. So it'll be different, but you know I think everyone has an opportunity to to be successful in this 
unique field uh, of Well, Elio's Healthgren, uh, been a pleasure uh, knowing you and dealing with you over the last couple of years or so that you've been here. Certainly wish you well in your new endeavor and uh, the best of luck to you. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate all you do as well.